So yeah, um, obviously, you guys are stuck with me preaching this week uh, and next week, because Mike is out of town. Um, I just wanted to take a moment and just thank you guys for giving me this opportunity to preach. Uh, thank you for your patience as I try and figure out just how to, how to preach and how to say stuff that makes sense for 30 minutes. Uh, so I appreciate that. I met someone earlier this week. Uh, he start, he's just figuring out like, how to preach, too. And he said that after, the, after his sermon, a lady came up to him and said, uh, hey, you'll, you'll get there one day, and <laughs> told him that. So uh, you can say that to me. Uh, feel free to say that. And I, I hope I get there one day. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm just appreciative of your guys' patience um, and, and just the opportunity that I have to come and preach. So, but today... We're going to continue our study through Luke. So we're going to be in Luke 5, 17 through 26. Uh, last week, we talked about Jesus healing the leper. Uh, we have another healing story today of Jesus healing the paralytic. So, um, yeah, we'll go ahead and go there. I'll go ahead and read Luke 5, 17 through 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, <clears throat> Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately <clears throat> he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. So we have really an amazing passage, right? We have Jesus extending healing. We have Jesus extending forgiveness. But what I think this passage is mainly about is Jesus' authority. Um, I think he, Luke, Luke wants us to know two things as we open up this passage. First, we see that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there. So that's the, that's, this is the first mention of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, and like, they're not going to waste any time challenging Jesus on his authority. Right? So the Pharisees, they're, they're prominent in the society. Um, they have a heavy focus on, God's, the, on the law and teaching of the law. And so Luke is setting up this conflict where the Pharisees are going to run into Jesus um, and his authority. And the second thing Luke wants us to know is that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And this power, it ultimately, it points back to Jesus' mission here on earth. Right? It points back to the fact that he's empowered. Right? The spirit of the Lord is with Jesus, guiding him through this mission all the way up to the cross. And so, yeah, saying, saying that the power of the Lord is with him to heal is really saying Jesus is continuing in his mission. Right? God's spirit is with him, guiding him through this mission. Uh, so that, that's Luke setting the scene for us. We have the Pharisees, we have Jesus, who's empowered by the Spirit. And then we get into the events of the actual story. Uh, and they're really, they're kind of bizarre. So there's this man, he's paralyzed, 
And so his friends, they pick him up, they bring him, uh, they're seeking to bring him to Jesus, but the crowd is obstructing them from getting to Jesus. And so they go around, they, they carry this paralyzed man up onto their roof, they peel the tiles off of the roof, they tie ropes to his bed, and let him down through the roof before Jesus. So we, we really see just how determined they are. They're very determined to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. And I think this shows us two things. One, I think it shows us how desperately he needed healing. Right? This paralyzed man um, can't do anything for himself, and so he really needs healing. But also, I think it shows just how, how much they believe that Jesus could heal this man. We see their determination and bringing him up on the roof and lowering him down through the ceiling. Um, it even says that Jesus saw their faith. And I think that can mean like Jesus saw their faith in their heart. But I also think Jesus just saw this man being lowered from the roof and was like, yeah, this guy probably believes that I can heal them if they're taking all these measures to get him to me. And so we have, yeah, we have the story of this paralyzed man coming, his faith um, and his friend's faith in Jesus. But then our story actually takes kind of an interesting turn. Uh, it's obvious to us, like, this man wants healing, right? Um, it seems obvious that he is seeking healing from Jesus as a paralytic. But what Jesus does first is he actually gives him forgiveness. So he forgives him before he does the actual healing. And that kind of stands out to us. Um, and it may even confuse us. We may, you know, wonder why that is. Um, but it actually probably would have made sense in that context to those people. Because the people in that day, they viewed, they viewed uh, paralysis, this condition where you can't move, um, they viewed this as a result of your own sin. So they, they just assumed that this man is paralyzed because of the sin that he committed. And that also probably explains why the crowd didn't let him through to see Jesus. Right? They think, man, this man has no right to see Jesus. This paralysis is a result of his sin that he's committed. And so that's probably yeah, why they're obstructing him. Um, I, just want, I just want us to imagine being in this man's position, right? You have a whole life filled with pain. You have a life where you're helpless. You can't do anything for yourself. And everyone around you thinks that this is a result of your sin. So really, you're living a life of condemnation right now, right? You're, you're living under the fact that, yeah, this, this has come on me because of my sin, because of my guilt. Um, and so it's a horrible life, right? He's cut off from the main community, um, he's looked down upon. He has this condition. So he's experiencing this life uh, really of condemnation. And whether his condition actually was a result of the sin, we don't know, right? Because um, we know that in some way, all, all sin, right, all, all fallenness, all brokenness in this world, it is a result of sin, right? So yeah, it may not have been his individual sin that caused this, but sin has caused it, right? Anything that's broken in this world, sin has caused it. And so really what Jesus does for this man, uh, he actually takes care of the greater need that he has. Because the greater need that he has actually is forgiveness. It's freedom from this guilt and this condemnation that he has. Because one thing that we see throughout the Gospels are that physical circumstances actually point to a deeper spiritual reality. And last week we talked about the leper, right? Mike talked about the leper being healed. Uh, Mike, Jesus didn't, didn't just heal this leper of his condition, of his leprosy, Jesus healed this man of his shame, right? He, he took care of the deeper condition that caused him to be cut off from his community, caused him to be shunned. Um, and Jesus does the same thing here. He, he provides a deeper change. He, he provides complete restoration to this man um, by offering him forgiveness, by giving him this forgiveness. So he gives him this deeper need of restoration. And by doing this, Jesus, he actually loves him perfectly, right? We may, we may question why, why has he not healed this man right away, um, why is he just forgiving him? But when he does this, Jesus actually loves him perfectly by forgiving him first. 
by, by removing any circumstance of where he can enter back into a life of condemnation. And I think sometimes, actually a lot of time, I forget that Jesus actually loves me perfectly in this way too. Right? He actually loves us perfectly in this way where he offers us forgiveness. Right? He gives us forgiveness um, when we put our faith in him. So I think a lot of times I bring, my, I bring my situations to Jesus before anything else. I come to Jesus and I just want him to fix um, the situation that I'm in, right? I want him to fix my AC because I'm upset that it's broke, right? I want him to give me this relationship that I really want, or I want him to take care of this financial burden, right? So a lot of times we come to Jesus just wanting our external circumstances to be taken care of. And that's actually, that's not a bad thing, right? If we look at our story, it wasn't a bad thing for the paralytic to seek to be healed, right? God calls us to actually lift up our, our needs in prayer to him, right? Come to him in prayer. Um, so it's not a bad thing, but we forget that the thing that we most need is something that Jesus has already accomplished for us, right? This forgiveness that we need the most is something that Jesus already offers us when we place our faith in him. So that's, that's what we often forget. Um, but it's easy, it's easy to just kind of believe, or just, it's easy to think that, right? It's easy to think, okay, I need forgiveness, like, the most out of anything, right? I, I can say that, and it's, it's easy to hear, um, but really, we need an explanation behind that, right? Why, why is forgiveness the thing that we need the most, right? Why, why is forgiveness, like, the very deepest need that we have? Now, I think it's because until we actually have the forgiveness of God rooted deep into our heart, we're going to view ourselves as constantly under punishment, Right? We're going to see every circumstance in our life that goes wrong, we're going to view it as God punishing us. Right? Until we have this forgiveness, we're going, to, we're going to know that we're not at peace with God. So anything that happens, we're going to view him as a vengeful God, right? Um, bringing, this, bringing this punishment upon us, entering, putting these hard circumstances on us um, as punishment. And so think about the paralytic, right? The paralytic, he, he was living his life under the, under the belief that God is punishing him um, and by, by giving him this condition, right? And this is actually our default mode because to some degree, if we're outside of Christ, if our faith isn't in him, then we really do deserve punishment, right? We're, we're all sinful. We're all guilty before God. And so it makes sense that our default mode is assuming um, that God is punishing us, right? That we're under his wrath. And so really what we need is forgiveness to remove that, right? We need to know that we're at peace with God because deep down, we, we really do know that, like, the greatest need that we have is to be at peace with God, for him not to put circumstances on us, not to put hardship on us as punishment, but God actually comes alongside us in these hardships, right? He's not the one doing these things to us. He is the one alongside us during these, uh, these hardships and these, these afflictions, right? So he's not putting us on, this, on these, uh, these hard circumstances. He loves us, right? He loves us through these troubles. And that's, like, that's the freedom that forgiveness gives us. Right, this freedom that we have, that God is coming alongside us. He loves us through these, these difficulties and these hardships. Uh, Romans 8.1 tells us that there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we're in Christ, when we have received this forgiveness, we're not just saved from the wrath of God at the end of time. We're not just saved from hell. Uh, we are saved from hell and we will go to heaven. But more than that, we're actually saved from God's wrath here on earth too. Right? Uh, Jesus has removed this obstacle between us and God to where now any circumstance that we're in, any bad thing that happens, um, it's not God punishing us, right? God's, God's now our Father who loves us, right? And he can discipline us, but he uses that for our good, right? Anything that happens to us, he uses that for our good. 
And so that's really, that's how beautiful the forgiveness is um, that Jesus, Jesus offers. And that's why it's so important that Jesus gives us forgiveness to the paralytic first. Yet, we see that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, um, they question this, right? They question this in their heart. Um, they question whether Jesus has the authority and the power to extend this forgiveness. Uh, and it makes sense, right? Because in their, in their day and age, and, and ours, right, God is the only one who has the power to forgive sin, right? He's the only one that has authority to forgive sin. And so if they, do, they don't understand who Jesus is at this point, right? They don't believe that he actually is the Son of God. Um, and so it would be blasphemy to them to assume that someone other than God is forgiving sins. And that's why they call him out, right? That's why they say, who is this who speaks uh, blasphemies? Now, I think at this point, we would expect Jesus to identify himself as the Son of God, right? We would think Jesus would clarify that, no, Jesus is the Son of God, and that's why he has this right to forgive sins. Because uh, that's true, right? He is God, and he has this power to forgive sins. But Jesus actually identifies himself as the Son of Man, right? He uses this title, I'm, you know, I'm the Son of Man who has authority to forgive sins. And I think, once again, it's because Jesus, he's revealing his true mission here on earth, right? He's not, he's not just answering the Pharisees. He's revealing who he is. He's revealing this authority that he has as the Son of Man. Because uh, they, they would have been familiar with this title, Son of Man. Because we see it in the Old Testament. The Son of Man in the Old Testament He's this messianic figure, um, this, prophetic, this prophetic savior that is going to come and usher in this new age for the people of God. Right? So he's this powerful figure. We see it in Daniel 7. Uh, there's a prophecy about the Son of Man in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. I'm going to read it here in a second, but just listen to what characterizes the Son of Man, what he's been given. So this is Daniel 7, 13 through 14, uh, Daniel speaking. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So as you can tell by this prophecy, the Son of Man is a powerful figure. Right, he's very powerful. Um, he's, been, he's been given authority. Uh, he's been, every, you know, all nations will come and praise him. His kingdom will last forever. So we have this very powerful figure that is identified as the Son of Man. Um, but we also see in the title Son of Man that he's also a personal Savior. So we have powerful Savior as the Son of Man, the coming Messiah. And we also have a personal Savior. Because Son of Man also refers to how Jesus took on our flesh, Right? Jesus, Jesus uh, lowered himself and became man for us. And so it shows that he's emphasizing that he's taken on our flesh and he now understands us, right? He's entered into the human experience. He knows what it's like to be a human. He knows the difficulties of this life. Uh, and that's true of us too, right? He knows us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what it's like um, to have these hardships, th these difficulties. Uh, but he also does more than that, right? The title Son of Man it refers to how he's taken on the flesh as the Son of Man, but it also refers to how he's going to save us. He's going to save us as a man. Like we've talked about in previous weeks, he's taken on flesh, and he's going to pay for our sin as a man, right? He takes our place by going, by dying on the cross as a man, and achieving this forgiveness for us. And so that's really where he has the power and the authority to forgive sins, Right? As a son of man, he's come down, he's come down and he's accomplished this forgiveness for us. So he does have the authority, right? He does have the power to forgive sins because he's paid for our sin. And this really changes everything. It changes, it was, 
yeah, it changes everything for the Pharisees too, right? All, all the Pharisees, all the people of Israel, they were used to relating to God uh, through a high priest, right? A high priest would sacrifice an animal, and then they would receive forgiveness. So they have this view of God, they have this relationship with God uh, that is pretty distant, right? It's, very, it's more just declarative, it's not really personal. They don't really know him that well. Um, but look at, if we look at the phrase in our passage, Jesus says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Right? So no longer is forgiveness just an abstract declaration to these people. Right? No longer is God just off in the distance um, dealing with them from afar. Right? What Jesus is saying here is, look, I've come to earth, and now I extend this forgiveness to you. Forgiveness isn't just, you know, it's not just abstract anymore. Jesus is saying, look, this forgiveness that you seek has actually become a person that you can know. Right? Jesus has come and he has dwelled with these people. He's dwelled on earth so that they can know him. Uh, this quote, I'm going to read a quote from John Calvin uh, that really explains the significance of Jesus coming to earth, forgiving us on earth as the Son of Man. So this is Calvin. Uh, so strong is our inclin- inclination to distrust that we never venture to believe that God is merciful to us until he draws near and speaks to us familiarly. Now, as Christ descended to earth for the purpose of exhibiting to men the grace of God as present, he is said to forgive sins visibly, because in him and by him the will of God was revealed, which, according to the perception of the flesh, had been formerly hidden above the clouds. So what he's saying here is, look, God's not off in the distance doing his own thing. Right? He's actually come alongside us now. He's become a person that we can know, a person that we can trust. That's really where the trust element comes in, right? We can know Jesus through his word, through his people, through his spirit that dwells within us. So now, now it's a personal forgiveness that, that we can interact with, right? We have a God that we can interact with now since Jesus has come down and dealt with our sin, right? Paid for our sin. But we still have a problem, right? We still have a problem, as we see in the text. The Pharisees, they need more than this, right? Jesus identifying himself as the Son of Man uh, isn't enough for them to actually believe, right? They need something more. And this is why Jesus poses a question to them in verse 23. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? And so he asks this question because in their minds, it's easier for Jesus to say, I forgive you of your sins, than it would be for him to actually heal this man, right? It would be like, it would be like me saying, look, I'm really hungry right now, versus me saying, I can do a backflip off of this stage, Right? I, don't, like, I don't really have to prove that I'm hungry to you. Even if I eat, like, I can actually not be hungry still. But if you ask me to prove that I can do a backflip off of the stage, that's a lot harder. So please don't ask me that. Uh, let's just assume that I can and <laughs> keep going. So, but what Jesus is saying here is, look, look I, know, I know that you doubt me right now. I know that you doubt me. And to them, yeah, it is easier just to say, it's easier to say this because it seems like Jesus doesn't have to prove it. And so what Jesus does for them is he demonstrates his power, right? He says, look, if I have the power to heal this man, if I can, if I can raise this man up, then I've, I have the power to forgive sins, right? If I speak this, if I speak this healing and this healing happens, then when I speak this forgiveness, then this forgiveness happens too. And so that's what he does, right? He, uh, he speaks out. He says, I say to you, rise up, pick your bed, and go home. And so he rises up, you know, picks up his bed, and he goes home, and he glorifies God. Right? So Jesus, he does this external sign to, to assure that forgiveness of sins has really been accomplished. Right? So he answers the Pharisees' question that they have in their hearts. 
I find that oftentimes, maybe you are the same as me, you have the same kind of questioning in your heart, right? I think oftentimes I question, uh, yeah, does Jesus really have the authority to forgive me of my sins? Or more so, does he actually have the power to forgive me of my sins? I feel like I sin a lot, right? Does he actually have the authority, does he have the power to forgive me of my sins? And this question, I think it stems from a place of distrust, right? Just like the Pharisees, they they didn't really trust that Jesus had this authority, um, this question, I think it stems from a place of distrust. And for me, I've noticed this distrust the most and really like the hardest thing that I've had to deal with in my life over the past six months. Um, as a lot of you know, my younger brother, Clay, he passed away this past March. Uh, it's been a really difficult time in my life. And I find that the times where I most uh, question God, the times that I'm most angry with God, um, what I'm really questioning is, am I forgiven by God? Right? I think the deeper question that we have is, am I forgiven by God right now? Is he, am I going through this hardship because I'm actually not reconciled to God and he wants me to pay for my sin? Right? I think a lot of us experience this to some degree in our hardships. Right? Maybe on the surface we know that it isn't true, but I think our suspicion of God, our doubt about God, it's, root, it's rooted in a deeper distrust of, am I actually forgiven by God? Right? Does God actually love me because this thing is happening to me right now? Right? I think that's where a lot of our distrust, a lot of our anger with God comes from, especially in our sin. Right? When we're stuck in repeated cycles of sin, we begin to question that. You know, if I keep doing this sin, is it because I'm not actually forgiven by God? And so we're weak in our faith. Right? I'm weak in my faith. Um, a lot of us, we're just weak in our faith, and we constantly question, we constantly doubt. Um, and ultimately, we need, we need something outside of ourselves to assure us of this forgiveness. Right, just like the Pharisees, they needed an outward sign right, to, for, to assure them of this forgiveness. We need something that's stronger than what we have within ourselves um, to assure us of the forgiveness that we have. And Jesus actually gives this to us. Right? The Pharisees, they didn't believe, and Jesus raises the paralytic, and the whole crowd believes. Right? Jesus, after Jesus raises the paralytic, they all know that Jesus does have the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus, he does the same thing for us, right? We question, are we forgiven? Uh, am I forgiven? And Jesus does the same thing, right? He forgives us by dying on the cross, but he actually assures us of this victory by resurrecting, right? We have the resurrection as concrete proof that we are forgiven, right? We have something outside of ourselves that we can look to and say, yeah, Jesus really has accomplished victory over my sin, right? It's not just how strong I am in my faith. It's the fact that Jesus is risen and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, Right, that's where our forgiveness is found. Um, that's, where, that's what it's rooted in. Right? So we no, longer, we no longer live a life of condemnation now. Um, we can actually look to Jesus. We can look to the fact that he has been raised from the dead and have full assurance that we're no longer condemned. Right? God is no longer angry with us. Uh, he no longer punishes us because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. If we go to Romans 8, 34, um, Paul articulates this pretty well. He says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and it's also interceding for us. So this resurrection, it promises us that we're forgiven, right? promises us that no matter what we do, no matter what we have done or what we will do, we're forgiven because Christ sits at the right hand of God. Christ has been raised from the dead, and he has achieved this victory over sin on our behalf. So as long as Christ is risen, that's how long you're forgiven, right? As long as he is risen at the right hand of God, um, we're forgiven. And really, our response should be the same response that the people have in our story, right? 
Uh, the paralytic, he goes home and he glorifies God, right? Amazement sees the whole crowd, and they begin to glorify God. They begin to praise him. And that's the appropriate response, right? We, don't have to, uh, we, don't, we no longer have to seek obedience to try and earn this favor, right? We can just look at Christ, look at what he has accomplished for us by dying for our sins. We can look to this assurance that we have by looking to the victory that he has and our resurrection, and we can just glorify God, right? So that's really great news. Um, it's great news that we can just come and we can praise him um, and glorify him and rejoice because he really has done extraordinary things for us. Um, so, that, yeah, that's really the heart of this text is, yeah, God has forgiven us. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, um, and your forgiveness is secure in him. Um, and it's great news because if you haven't placed your faith in God, this is available to you, right? If you haven't placed your faith in Christ as the one who has accomplished this forgiveness for you, um, it's available, right? Freedom is available for you. Uh, you no longer have to be stuck in your sin, right? You no longer have to be paralyzed in your sin, right? Unable to free yourself from it, right? This message is available to you. Um, so, yeah, I just pray that God will work in your heart. Now you can come and profess faith in him. But, yeah, moving on, um, let's just glorify God together. Um, let's praise him, and let's go ahead and enter into prayer as a church family. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we just come and we praise you. Just thank you for the forgiveness that you have achieved for us. Uh, just thank you for the love that you've given to us. Uh, and I just pray that you assure us um, that you really are resurrected, that you really do sit at the right hand of God, that you intercede for us daily. Um, just remind all of us of that during our hardship, during our sin, um, that our forgiveness is found in you. Um, just lead us to praise you, God. Lead us to be in amazement of you um, and glorify you together. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you.